Welcome to Cheaper Than Therapy, a podcast that journeys into conversations that demystify, destigmatize, and desensitize what goes on both inside the therapy room and in daily life. I'm Vanessa Bennett. And I'm Danae Logan. And we are seekers, soul sisters, and holders of sacred space. Every week, we sit down for soul-provoking conversations with fellow seekers, thought leaders, change makers, and even real people during live coaching sessions as they navigate the hard work it takes to be a human. This is Cheaper Than Therapy. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Cheaper Than Therapy. Danae and I are really excited to bring you this conversation for a lot of reasons, but I mean, if I can just be frank, one of which is that we're always hungry to talk to more men. Um especially men that that do their best to speak to the male experience in a way that feels very uh, open and very, um, I don't know, like holding of so many conflicting realities and truths for so many people and is not laced with shoulds. And I think that our guest Brian does that. I think he, he makes a point to try to come meet men where they're at, but also challenge them in a way that encourages them to learn and explore and go deeper without shaming them into it, which we obviously know as therapists, shame is never a way to get people to do anything or change anything about themselves. Um, And so, yeah, I think that was probably one of the biggest reasons that we were excited to bring him on. And I'm, I'm glad that Danae you brought him to me as somebody who would be a really good conversation because it ultimately was. Yeah, I I really love Brian's content so much. I've been a fan of his for a while. I think mostly because he's so transparent in his own process and what he has come to understand about himself over the last couple of years. And it's given me so much insight, um, not only into sort of like the relationship sphere in terms of men and women and how they attempt to meet one another, I think oftentimes with a lot of challenge, but just how much there is about the experience of what it feels like to be a man that I, as a 43-year-old woman, really was not aware of. And I think the last couple of years have been a real wake-up call and reckoning for me around that. Um, And so it's just been really insightful, useful information for me. And he's someone that I am constantly recommending to my male clients and also my couples for them to sort of, you know, get perspective on some of the challenges that inevitably come up in relationships so often between men and women, you know? Yeah, we talked to during this conversation, you know, we, we went deeper into this idea of, you know, just personal responsibility. Um, and, you know, you talk about this a lot in your work with couples, but this, this acceptance of our partner for exactly who they are, right? Like we are attracted to them for a reason. And then once we are partnered, we begin this lifelong endeavor to try to change them (laughs) and try to make them more like us and get angry and resentful when they aren't. And I think he has a a lot of really interesting perspective on that. And, and I'm excited for you all to listen to kind of how we, how we rolled around in that conversation. Yeah. It's a really good episode. I loved it. Hope you enjoy guys. We're super excited today to be chatting with Brian Reeves. He's a former U.S. Air Force captain turned life coach, author, podcast host, and blogger with over 30 million readers. Since 2014, Brian has been coaching couples and men to help them discover and live out their dreams. His new book, Choose Her Every Day or Leave Her, 
discusses men's challenges with intimacy and boundaries and thriving in intimate relationships. Brian, we're so thrilled to have you here today. I'm honored to be here. Thank you, Vanessa and Danae. Thank you. <laughs> not Dini, yeah. Danae. Brian, not, not Dini. Dini. <laughs> um, yeah, Brian, Vanessa knows I've been geeking out a little bit, excited for you to come on. I'm a really big fan of your work and you know, um, I do a lot of work with couples and I, I, I do a lot of work with men. Mm. And I got to say, the work that I do with men has really been so healing for me in my own mm. journey. It's really sort of made me aware of how little I understood about men. And um, I use you as a resource mm. quite often, actually, for the men that I work with. Um, send them over to your page and your content and sort of like, this might be helpful. Um, I'm honored to hear and it. And so Thank I'd you. love it. Oh, yeah. But I'd love if you would tell us a little bit about how you came into doing this work and how you started working with men initially. Yeah, so I'm uh, I'm I'm now 48, just turned 48 a couple days ago. Um, and I thank Happy you. Birthday. And I think that that's meaningful. Fellow Taurus. Fellow Taurus. Vanessa, you're Taurus? <laughs> oh, love, yeah. Tauruses are great to work with, I got to say. Yeah. Um, I, I start with that only because I think that that's it's it's meaningful in in terms of my journey as a man because I, I was as a teenager uh, I went into the military I went to the Air Force at seventeen eighteen years old uh, I, I was an officer um, I was in the military for ten years I was I had great training I had great education I had a master's I got a master's degree in human relations human relations right that's important. Mm in my early 20s, mm -hmm. while a captain in the Air Force. And I got out of the military at 26 years old. And, okay, all this education, all this training, all of this experience, you know, being professionally successful, having prestige, wearing a uniform. I had a girlfriend at the time. I uh, had money, all of that. And I sucked at relationships. Hmm. I had a master's degree in human relations. And I sucked at relationships. Three sisters, two mothers, mom and stepmom. Like, if anyone should do relationship well with women, it should be me. And I was a disaster. And <clears throat> I didn't want to be a disaster. Um, but I didn't really know how to, how to even begin not being a disaster for another 10 years. <laughs> Until I was, you know, in my late 30s, 36. But just relationship after relationship. Uh you know, catastrophe after catastrophe, despite having great intentions and, and thinking I knew what I was doing, but clearly delusional about that. So, you know, uh, 12 years ago, I guess now is when I just started asking the question, okay, what am I missing that, that someone should have taught me. And it was really asking that question and being willing to then, um, get support outside of my own brain that began, mm. you know, my, my journey to really, really beginning to, to, to unlock relationship and, and how to, you know, step into this work as a personally, just speak me speaking, but then also how to support others and, and men in particular these days. Yeah. I love that. Um, 
you know, you, you talked a little bit about nobody taught me. And I think in the first chapter of your book, you say nobody taught me how to be a man. And I, I constantly come back to the idea that we have a real lack of elders mm -hmm. in our um, mm -hmm. society. And I think that that is really impacting not only how we feel about ourselves and our journey, but also how we are able to show up in relationship with one another. Um, and yeah. I feel like I've heard you speak to that a little bit. Will you speak to just this lack of someone giving you an idea of what it looked like to be? You a know, man? I had a, um, <clears throat> so I had two fathers, stepfather and father, both beautiful men in, in their, in their heart, you know, in their core, both, both beautiful men, but neither of those men had fathers showing them any particular way in life. You know, both my dads were, were mm -hmm. left to find their own way so naturally their blueprint was to, well, let your son find his own way. It's not, not a conscious mm -hmm. thing, just a, a, a by default thing. And so, you know, I, from a very young right. age, I felt these men in many ways missing in, in my own life. Cause they're just, it's like, they were just so busy trying to keep their own lives together. They couldn't really show up for me. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and, you know, I, I, Unfortunately, one of the things that that I discovered for myself along along the way is that is that because men don't have and I'm just talking about men right now, I'm not even addressing, you know, women's experience, which you all obviously be able to speak much more <laughs> intelligently about it than I would. <laughs> but because men we don't have older men wise, trustable elder men really showing us the way what happens is we we look to our intimate relationships to be like the the containers within which we we find adulthood and that's yes. not what they're supposed to be for Oof. but yes. so, so in a way it's our our intimate partners that then become our initiating um i i i want to use the word uh I don't know, our initiating guides, but that's not what they signed up for. They didn't want to be our initiating mm -hmm. guides. Yeah. You know, they want to be our, our, our intimate partners. And so, you know, I, and I kept running into that over and over. It's like in this unconscious way I was, I would choose women who uh, like would initiate me, but like would kill the boy in me that was so desperate to become the man. None of the women I was ever partnered with wanted that job. <laughs> mm -hmm. Don't sign up for that no. shit. I, as you're speaking, I'm having this clear, clear memory of telling my ex as we were breaking up, I feel like I've been dragging you behind me mm. for the last six years and I'm exhausted. Mm. Like, I remember that was one of the last things that I said to him during our breakup. And that's what just mm. came up when you were saying that. I was like, oh, yes, it's that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's so, it, you know, I have a, a men's group that I run. Uh, for a, a year-long men's group that I run. And just, just, just this week, one of the men had a conversation with his father. Now, this guy's in his 50s. He's successful. And he has been really estranged from his father for, for, for a long time. Finally had a conversation with his dad this week. And mm -hmm. it was remarkable how what he discovered was his own father naturally didn't have a father who really showed love to him. And so how was his dad? So his dad, again, the blueprint that his father had was just disciplinarian, uh, exacting standards of success, you know, give no comfort or support to the child, let them find their own way. 
and and to see these two men, you know, one's in his fifties, the other is probably in his seventies, have this beautiful conversation for the first time in their lives. It was it was it's it's really a, it's so incredible to witness, um, and so I have a lot of compassion for our fathers. And, yeah. and I still, as a man, as a 48 year old man, I'm still fucking angry. There's a part of me that still is a mm. sad and angry and grieving and doing all of that. You know, it's like, I'm doing all of that, that, that processing work myself and, and working with other men of my generation so that our sons and daughters don't have to have the same experience. Yeah. So do you feel like a lot of the answer becomes men need more space containers with men to process a lot of what hasn't Absolutely. been processed? Kind of what I was going to ask, though. Ab- absolutely. <laughs> a fascinating thing that, that a lot of men, when, when, we, when, we, when we really get into it, men don't trust other men. We don't trust yeah. other men. You know, there's a lot of conversation around women not trusting men. The reality is men don't trust men. You know, I, I was very, um, I think a lot of men, uh, because we've never felt safe with other men as well, there's a, like we, we, in a way, we secretly hate men. But we are men. So there's this projected, you know, if I, if I can't trust other men, how can I trust myself because I'm a man? And all kinds of, I mean, y'all, y'all are therapists, you know, all, all kinds of dysfunction comes from just living in the projection and when we start to gather with other men in, in, in containers or groups, you know, I like the word containers that are, that, that are held well, there's, they're safe there where we get to both, uh, you know, witness each other, show up for each other, challenge each other, but in respectful ways, you know, when a container is really held well for men to come in and feel safe, wow, the things that we can then get off our chest and share and, and, and probably in many cases for the first time ever. And we start to develop trust right. with other men and realize, okay, these men aren't going to exploit my vulnerability or laugh at me or make fun of mm-hmm. me or, or demean me or, or take advantage of me in some way. And I can just uh, reveal myself. Well, the ripple effects then of that now, wow, I, I feel strong as a man again. And I trust other men and men are trustable. Holy shit. This, this whole new thing begins to happen. And now we can, to take that strength, take that, that groundedness we feel amongst men back into our relationships, whether it's with our kids, our, our employees, our, our boss, whatever, the, the community at large, our lovers, our, our wives, our husbands. Oh, man, we, we can show up in a new way because we're resourced by our bonds with other men. We're resourced mm-hmm. and we don't need, I don't need my wife to be everything to me. Yes. For example. Yeah. I saw this interesting, um, research study that was done. So it was done very recently. So I guess we're, we're looking at high schoolers, which I guess would technically be maybe Gen Z. And they were saying that there's been an interesting shift happening, which I mean, there's so many interesting shifts happening with Gen Z, right? But what's, but they've been specifically focusing on boys and they were saying that the misconception is like the artistic musical, uh, you know, um, more kind of quiet introverted boys actually have you know greater access to their emotions and they you know are better able to speak about their emotions and actually they're finding Mm -hmm. it being the opposite that what they're seeing is that these boys that are actually let's say in sports for example are actually showing now at least in this generation to be doing better with Mm -hmm. 
EQ and, you know, being able to, to name their emotions because what happens is they have this, what they called like, um, almost like social clout. And because they have this social clout and the confidence that comes from that, they feel safer about who they are. They feel safer with themselves. They know themselves better. And so then they feel safer actually expressing outward. Mm -hmm. And I just thought that was such a fascinating thing because we have this idea of like locker room culture and how, you know, sports are, they can kind of be toxic and they can help create that toxic, you know, masculinity that everybody talks about. But this Gen Z research is showing that it, that might be changing. And I, and it just, it came up for me because I'm thinking it it feels a lot like what you're talking about, right? That like learning to trust men and trust yourself. Right. I'm, I'm very encouraged by my peers, fellow men, my age around my age that have, that have boys, especially, but even daughters, I'm really encouraged in seeing how uh, so many men are really working to figure out how the hell do I show up for my kid in a way that my parents didn't show up for Mm. me. I'm really seeing Mm -hmm. that in most of the fathers that I know. It's remarkable. And not that, not that our fathers, you know, again, I've told you, I had, I, I love my dads, but they had no idea how to really be present. They didn't have YouTube. They couldn't watch YouTube videos on fathering, I guess. I don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm really encouraged. And, and Vanessa, that's, that's really exciting to hear because, you know, my generation, my father's generation, certainly, and even, you know, I think boy, men that are still in their, in their thirties and even in their twenties, I think a lot of our, our locker room experiences, sports were still places where we didn't talk about our feelings. You know, we weren't really vulnerable with each other. It was still the place to prove who's the best, who can score the most goals, who can land the most chicks, you know, who can, can mm-hmm. withstand the most pain, all, all of those just, yeah, just, just, just awful, awful versions of, 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 of manhood that don't really serve us. Certainly yeah. not in our relationships yeah. to women in the world. Right. Mm-hmm. I love how you spoke about, you know, you were someone who studied relationships and felt like all these years later, I realized I wasn't really great at mm-hmm. relationships. I feel like, you know, I was married for 11 and a half years and it wasn't until the end of my marriage that I really started to get curious about men Mm -hmm. and my relationship with men and you know something you were just saying I think is a little bit become the obsession of my life that um we are looking for these nuclear family relationships our partnerships Mm -hmm. to be so much more than they are meant Mm -hmm. to be and something I heard you speak to that was like a moment for me like whoa light bulb was like you were talking about your wife saying to you you know you wanted you're like come on let's race and she was like I don't want to race you dude (laughs) like I'm not interested in racing you and I had felt that energetic Uh, between me and my uh, partner so many times and still sometimes we do like I'm not your boy like I don't want to banter with you I don't want you to like and I think that some of this is that men don't have containers to get some of that energy out and they're trying to do it with their partner and it really really creates a lack of healthy polarity from what I've seen you know 100% what I, mean? I, I call it the two-person village you know me and my wife we're the two-person <laughs> village yeah. trying to get all yeah. our needs met in this little two-person village and our little our little you know castle of a home all by ourselves what mm-hmm. is that Mm-hmm. That's, that's, yes. we, we didn't evolve and develop that way. And yet that's what our modern standard is. The two person village, you know, throw a couple kids in there and a dog and you got a four person village if you like. But yeah, my, that's been one of the great benefits of, of, of doing men's work in all of the different flavors that I, I get to do it is, is that 
yeah, there's a way that I can be with my men. And I mean all flavors of men, you know, all sexual varieties of, 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 of desire and preference, all of that. I don't just mean straight heterosexual white men, but I mean all the flavors of mm -hmm. men hanging out with, with, mm -hmm. with, with men allows me to, to connect in ways that, yeah, my wife doesn't want to connect with me in those ways. She doesn't, yeah. She doesn't like you like that, that example, Danae, I've talked about that a lot of, you know, going on a walk with her and, and wanting to, you know, get my competitive thing going on and, and, uh, babe, I, I'll race you to that car. And she's like, you know, the park car. She's like, I don't want to fucking race you, man. I just want to walk and hold your hand and be with you. <laughs> and I'm like, Oh, come on. You know, I get like, ah, oh, that, that let down. Cause you know, you know, my, my, that, 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 you know, one of the maps that I enjoy playing with, uh, which I do, do, I, I really work hard not to, to gender, genderfy, you know, the masculine and feminine map. Um, but, but that, 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 that beautiful masculine enjoyment of challenge, you know, that we all feel, mm -hmm. but my wife doesn't want to go there with me. She wants to have a different experience me of, of by and large, for the most part, just, just, she just wants to connect and we're, and she doesn't connect yeah. with me by competing with me. I'm laughing because... <laughs> I don't know today, you know what I'm going to say, but in my head, I'm going, if I was in that situation, it would have been me that was like, come on, let's <laughs> race. And my partner, John, would have been like, I don't want to race. I want to just yeah, walk and hold your Totally. Exactly. It's, it's, it, I, I think that's, you know, one of the, one of the beautiful gifts of relationship that I didn't understand f for so many years and, and I'll, 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 I've, I've, I've learned as well in, in working with couples as well, I've seen this over and over and over again, um, that it, it, it's not the differences between us that cause some of our problems, but it's constantly trying to make the differences go away that causes the problems, yes. you know, and, and I know I can, I watch myself constantly trying to pull my wife into, you know, the ways of being that, 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 that are like similar to mine that she mm -hmm. naturally resists because that's just not her way of being and, and vice versa. And when I, or we can just kind of relax that and just allow the other to just, you know, Oh, Oh, right. Racing isn't, doesn't turn you on. Got it. I'll, let's just hold right. hands and we'll have a nice walk. Okay. But you know, I need to go hang out with my guys and we need to, I don't know, have an ax throwing contest or something <laughs> so I can <laughs> come alive in that way. So anyway, yeah, the two person village, yeah. I don't think it's working for us. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't agree with you more. I think when I work with couples, the number one thing that I see is you need to experience the world the way that mm. I do. And mm -hmm. the fact that you can't or won't or um, do not is, is what is frustrating yeah. me. And, you know, I have my thoughts on the way that is, but I'm curious, like, why do you think we feel such a strong pull to get the other person to behave in the way that we would? Yeah, it's, <clears throat> it's, um, it's really ironic that we choose this person. I remember when I first met my wife, Sylvie, in a, in a cafe in, uh, in Los Angeles. Like, I felt like someone had just p pushed me into the deepest ocean the moment I was mm. in her presence. And it was, the, she's a deeply, deeply feeling woman. Mm. I mean, she feels everything. And I have come from a, a, an experience where I, as a man being largely shut off from many emotions and mm -hmm. shut down in many ways, you know, the military, just being a boy. Um, 
And, and so naturally I'd be drawn to a woman who feels so much, you know, cause I'm wanting, I'm wanting the gift of that in my life and she's wanting, you know, the gifts that I bring that she, for whatever reason is, it just doesn't have access to, or just wants more of whatever. But then naturally, but then there's that, I mean, you all know there's so many layers to this, right? But, but then, so I, I, I've brought in this woman who has these great gifts that I want, and then I simultaneously reject them. Mm-hmm. And I want, I, but naturally, if I'm rejecting it in myself, or for whatever reason, I've, I don't feel safe in me to feel, it's not, it's, it feels, uh, whether uncomfortable or, or just not safe, because as a man, I've, I've never, no one's ever really helped me feel safe crying or well, then naturally my partner, I don't want her to feel those things either. Right. That's that, right. That, that projected part of me is like, I want you to be more like me, but also don't be like me because mm-hmm. that sucks too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then, yeah. so it, it's, I, I really, I really, I, I, I have so much empathy for people in relationships because I really believe we are set up mm-hmm. to fail by our programming, by our culture, mm-hmm. by we're set up to fail. And, um, I think, you know, the work that you ladies are doing that, that my, I don't know if you might, my, my wife, uh, Sylvie Kukassian, if you, you know, know of her work, mm-hmm. you know, she, the work that she's doing, uh, you know, the, the work that I'm doing with men, again, I, I start from such compassion, a place of such compassion. Mm-hmm. Cause I, I, as I said, I sucked for so long. I was terrible at this stuff and, you know, learning, my wife has been such a great teacher of, Oh, it's okay to let her be very different from me. It, it's yeah. okay. In fact, not only is it okay, but I need her to be different from me. Yeah. And I think that's a, a really key point. And I, you know, I talk about it a lot in this idea of like, you know, what Jung called our, our path of individuation. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is an innate call in us, mm-hmm. right? Like every human at a soul level desires to expand, mm-hmm. desires to grow, desires to evolve, right? And so part of that evolution is actually bringing people into our sphere, our chosen family, right? Whether that be a romantic relationship, friend relationship, whatever, that are going to challenge us, that are going to hold a mirror to us and show us where our, you know, undeveloped functions are, underdeveloped functions are. And so we bring this, these people into our spheres, mostly unconsciously because of that desire. But then all of a sudden the conscious part goes, oh, but I'm, I don't want to be uncomfortable. I don't want to grow. I don't want to be challenged. And it's like this little inner adolescent that crosses their arms and stomps their feet and goes, no, I'm so tired of this. I just want to sit in my, you know, what's comfortable for me. And it, when I try to remember in those moments where my partner, John, is making me crazy with his differences, it's like, I chose this. Mm-hmm. I chose this person, right? And so rather than fighting against it, if I can take a breath and I can say, what about this difference is actually inviting Mm -hmm. me in to look at myself Mm -hmm. and continue to grow. I have found that to be really helpful. Maybe not in the moment because I'm irritated, right? But like once that irritation kind of subsides, I feel like that that helps for me anyway. I'm with you. And and I chose this and I'm choosing it again today. I'm still choosing it. I am choosing all of this. I am an adult. I could leave this if I wanted to. I don't right. want to as much as, like you said, Vanessa, it is irritating and it is annoying. And I'm, and it is, uh, I'm all in on this and, and yeah, looking, seeing, okay, what is it? What's the gift here for me? Not just the condescending gift. Like, oh, okay. I need to learn how to 
love unconditionally this idiot that I've that I'm with. <laughs> but no. <laughs> what is what is the expression of them? What are they what are they presencing that I may like you said that I may be cut off from in my own self that I'm that I'm not mm-hmm. wanting to look at or or see or or I've rejected or just just you know I like uh, I think Francis Weller uses the term like the outcast parts of myself. You know the the outcast parts. What is coming up for me right now that I can actually bring back into potentially the, the, my, the place of belonging, that circle of belonging, these outcast parts of myself. And anyway, I mean, I love, I love that you, you know, you, the Jungian archetypal work. I'm, I'm a huge fan of, of archetypal work. Cause I think that's such a, again, a great map for all of these different parts of ourselves that we can discover through intimate relationship with another person if we're open to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I've heard you speak about something that I feel very strongly about and I feel like comes with a lot of resistance and I'd love to hear you expand on what you're saying when you talk about radical acceptance of your partner. Um, Mm. It's, you know, I feel like a lot of people and certainly we're not talking about any any sort of abuse when we say something like that. But can you can you speak a little Mm. bit about what you mean when you talk about being in this space of radical acceptance? Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, so I, I created this model of, of for men called the, the five pillars of a thriving man. And one of those pillars is family. And, and each side of these pillars, in each of these pillars, we, we, and I say we, me and my, my longtime friend and, and co-facilitator, his name is Tate, we've created a map for working through each of these pillars. <clears throat> and in the family pillar, the first skill that we work to cultivate is um, radical acceptance, cultivating radical acceptance. And it's in the family pillar because we can't make our family be different than who they are. Uh, By which I mean, I don't get to, I don't get to have a different mom than the one I was born to or who is whoever's filling that role. Whether or not I'm in relationship with her or not, she's always going to be my mom in my psychic imprint Mm-hmm. And so this this practice of cultivating radical acceptance to your uh, and Danae, I, I'm glad that you put that in there. That that it, it's not about embracing being abused, accepting abuse, accepting my boundaries being violated, accepting a shitty situation because that's what radical acceptance does. No, for mm-hmm. for the way that I approach radical acceptance, it's um, you know, I like what 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 Byron Katie said you, you can you can argue with reality but you'll only lose 100% of the time <clears throat> right you can argue yeah. <laughs> with reality yeah. you can argue all you want but you're only going to lose 100% of the time and so you know i my this foundational approach to relationship is is first working on because I, what i've found is that I can change the outside world or I can work for that change. And on the rare occasions when I succeed in meaningful ways, my happiness doesn't last for longer than a minute. Mm-hmm. Something's, you know, my partner may do the thing I want her to do today for five minutes, but then she stops and then what? Or she has something else that she needs. To do. And if I can't be with that, we're, we're sunk. If I can't be with my partner not wanting to have sex with me one night, not wanting to 
um, you know, even just feel good around me. You know, I, I, I told my wife early in our relationship, half jokingly, I was like, babe, look, just be happy and thrilled all the time and we'll be good. <laughs> <laughs> just be a Stepford wife, you know, we'll yeah. be good. Just be happy and thrilled all the time and everything will go grand between us. And look, obviously, I, I mean, I knew how ridiculous that was. And she probably, you know, uh, at the time had feelings of rage rise in her uh, when I said that. <clears throat> um, but, but there's also that myth that I think a lot of men particularly yeah. hold that let's just be happy and thrilled all the time and we'll be fine. And that ain't life in a human body. Um, And so, you know, cultivating radical acceptance is really, again, in the simplistic terms, is just is just is cultivating the capacity to be with what is. And from there, then taking action. Or not. I I love that so much because I think that becomes a way for us to really use our relationship as a mirror for what is left for me to heal. Like if you use the example that you were just giving about you saying to Sylvie, like just be happy all the time. I think that's such a common theme that I see in couples. Like my ideal woman would just be in this space of like, you know, which we often are early in a relationship Mm -hmm. because it's like blissful. And then, and then we get to like, the space of life, right? Like where the things come to the surface. But I think it speaks often to the extent to which I've made space for my emotional complexity as a man. If this feels really difficult to tolerate in you, how much am I making space for my difficult emotions? How much am I allowing myself to feel what's hard, right? Oh yeah, totally. And and this is a way, again, my my partner, Sylvie, she's been a a great teacher and ongoing reminder for me because... Yeah, that, that part of me that wants her to be, and I should add a third word, happy, thrilled, and willing. And willing for what? Willing for what I want. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. you know, what, what, a, what a, so if I'm putting that on her, clearly I'm putting that on me. And, right. you know, what space do I give <clears throat> myself to be sad or frustrated or hurt mm. or, or unwilling to do even the things that I think I should be doing. Right. So, you know, it's, it's a, to, to just be aware of, of these, of these, (laughs) the part of me that's not at all radically accepting, but quite judgmental. Mm -hmm. I'll often, you know, Sylvie, I think I was the the first man that, that openly admitted to her that I judged her after an argument. Uh, She didn't know what to do with that. I said, you know what? You're right. I did judge you and I'm sorry. And she didn't really know what to do with that. And, and I still do it, but I'm able to just own it Mm -hmm. and say, yep, I did. I'm sorry. That was shitty. My bad. You know, Mm -hmm. you're, you're, you're allowed to feel whatever you feel. You're allowed to blah, blah, blah. You're allowed to, you know, and then that's me again, sort of speaking to the acceptance, the radical acceptance, babe, you get to show up however you want. And though, you know, I have boundaries. There are certain ways of Mm -hmm. communicating that aren't okay right? That don't, that aren't allowed, that don't work, you know, but I don't, I don't, I mean, again, it's all a learning journey, right? I I will never be radically accepting. It's an ideal I lean towards, right? And I think that's what ideals are. They're things we lean towards, towards living, but, but better, better I lean towards it than, than not lean at all and just live in my judgment. Um, so I don't know. Is that, does that answer your question? 
Danae, is that helpful? Yeah, and I think I think that's really important that you said what you said at the end about like this is a practice because right. I feel like yeah. so often just like we will never be securely attached completely right. and we will never like live <laughs> in that space. Yeah. None of us are in radical acceptance of our partners all, the, all time. the time, but we can hold that as the goal of what we are attempting to come back to. And I think a lot of times people are like, "Well, you're telling me I'm doing it wrong, so I'm not even going to try." And that's right. you know, this is the practice. This is the goal. You right? know, I love what the Gottmans actually have this thing where they say like in every long-term relationship, there's always going to be one thing that's mm-hmm. never going to get solved. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like every relationship is going to have at least one thing that you're going to fight about basically like forever and ever. Amen. Until the day you die. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And like, basically what they say is it's not about solving that thing. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. about how do we continue to show up with compassion, attempting to practice acceptance, attempting to practice, you know, every time it does come up can we just slightly get better each time maybe at like you know holding the other person validating whatever this thing might be and that's actually something i've heard you speak about too brian is like this idea of i think as a people like we think acknowledging or validating means agreeing Mm -hmm. with Mm -hmm. and i've heard you say that maybe in one or two of Mm -hmm. your clips and and i think that's super important for people to understand the difference right it's like I can validate you and I can see you, but it doesn't mean that I necessarily have to agree. A hundred percent. And this, I think, again, I, you know, I live in a, a male body. I identify, this is a male body. And I, so I, I, I know that experience more intimately than I know any other, any other experience. <clears throat> and I know, mm-hmm. you know, coming from the military, the Air Force, engineering, I was an engineer in the Air Force, where you know, predominant sports as well, like, like just predominantly male environments, men really struggle with this, that to Mm -hmm. validate your experience means I have to agree with it and I don't agree with it. So I can't validate it. And that gap right there just ruins so many relationships unnecessarily. Yep. Because what does it mean if I validate it and I don't agree with it? It means I agree with it. That's what, that's what, that's what the, that my brain, and I get caught in that still. I'm still, ooh, that's a tentative yeah. place to, to wander into. <laughs> to, whoa, 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 whoa. Okay. All right. I'm with you. You're exp- but for me, the, the way that I've, <clears throat> the way that I've bridged that gap is, is it's very simple, really. Her experience is real for her. It's mm-hmm. real for her. Right. Yes. Amen. Period. Mm-hmm. No, no, it's real for her, but, but, you know, blah, 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 blah. No, 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 no. It's real for her, period. <sighs> Let's sit with that for a moment. Again, cultivating radical acceptance. I may not understand it. I often don't understand my wife's experience. When I've had the same experience she's had, I can immediately get it. When I haven't, right. it's very difficult for me to, to, to get it. And, you know, we've been with each other six years now and, and we've developed a lot of trust between us. You know, we've, so, so I'm the, having the capacity to just say, I get that your experience is real for you, mm. period. And just be with her in that mm-hmm. before, you know, and sometimes I have to sit with my own terror, like, oh my God, what does this mean for my worldview? What is this? Are we going to be stuck in this perspective forever? Do I like, do I have to, am I signing up for something I don't want to sign up for? <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like, you know, she, you know, I look, we're all mirrors of each other. I do the same things she does. 
it's just it's easier to see it outside of me than it often is me doing it right you know but if, if she's upset about something or venting about something and i could i can go into my fear of oh my god if i agree with her it's always going to be this way and then i'm not going to get to do this thing or have this mm -hmm. experience that i think i need or want because of the way she's seeing things right now mm -hmm. and that i could so it's the story about the future. It's a story about the future, mm -hmm. but, but felt in the present, you know, and it's like a loss of self. It's like, mm -hmm. if I, if I, if I have to believe this or accept this, uh, then I lose a part of myself. Oh, yeah. mm. Does that make sense? And, and, and what I often find for me is it often speaks to my own childhood wounds that are showing up in the moment. Mm -hmm. For me, what that personally looks like is often I'm going to, you know, my family divorced when I was, my dad, parents divorced when I was four years old. My family was never again together. Most of the rest mm -hmm. of my life has been spent trying to bring people together. I mean, the work that I do is trying to bring people together, say, you know, help couples yeah. navigate their, their differences so that they, even if they split apart physically, they can stay together emotionally. They can stay partnered, even if they, right. That that's so my wife had a different childhood. She had a different experience. That's not so much a wound for her. So, so sometimes what comes up is, Oh my God, what, what she's saying right now or needing I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to lose connection somewhere and I can't bear it. I can't bear it. So don't think like that. You know, I can't agree with that because if I agree with it, then so it's like a lot of childhood stuff is present in these simple little moments. And, and you know, and again, I, this is why I think, you know, doing this kind of work, having these conversations, you know, whether you know, therapy, coaching, whatever, but this introspective work is so vital because when I, when I can be aware that this is present in this moment, my wife is having an experience. Okay. Maybe I don't agree with it. Maybe even I feel a certain way about it. Ooh, if I can just realize, just breathe, whoa, breathe into my own discomfort, be with what is, what is right now is I feel, I feel scared. Whew. still be present for what she's saying. And a lot of times just shut up, breathes. You know, my mantra is just shut up. Don't say anything. <laughs> be with her. Just let her, let her say, and just say, I, I, I hear you, babe. I, I totally get it. Done. Wow. I, yeah, period. <laughs> period. <laughs> yeah, I just... <laughs> I just had such a light bulb as you were talking and I'm going to see if I can articulate it because I feel like what I hear you speak to a lot, Brian, is this, you know, like the core masculine yearning for freedom where like a core feminine has this longing for connection. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times that longing for freedom can make the longing for connection feel a little bit like stifling and difficult for the masculine to stay present with. And, you know, when, when Vanessa said something to you about, you know, losing yourself, mm -hmm. I thought that was interesting because it sort of felt connected to the longing for freedom. But underneath that longing for freedom, what I feel like I hear you saying is there's actually a longing for connection, but that feels difficult to tolerate because I could be abandoned if I allow myself to open uh, to that. Yeah. I mean, when, when we really get into I love that that conversation. It's so, you know, I, I, I think of this Rumi quote often. Uh, he said, we are so connected that the word connected doesn't even make sense. And that's the ultimate freedom to be so connected that yeah. we can't undo connection. That's how connected we are. Wow. Well, how liberating is that? You know, freedom and connection in the end are the same thing. And they're like, you know, and I'll often 
you know, I think a lot of my work is, is helping, helping men find their way down this path to discovering that actually the ultimate freedom can be found in the, in, in the most profound connection with another human being. Mm. In fact, I, again, you know, I, I, I'm not, I don't intend to speak in any absolutes here. I don't believe in absolutes, but I think a lot of men seek freedom outside of relationship because relationship feels like bondage. So they go looking for freedom and all they end up finding is loneliness and aloneness and sadness and, and cynicism and, and disconnection and, and pseudo connection and all of these sort of addicted forms, addict, addiction forms. <clears throat> when, when really, I, I believe, you know, that's a, like intimate relationship is such a, a spiritual pathway to, to both beautiful freedom and connection because, again, cultivating radical, learning to cultivate radical acceptance in the face of someone who is not meeting my conditions in this moment. Wow, what freedom. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> what freedom is there? Yeah. And learning to stay in my heart and love my partner even when she isn't giving me what I want right now. But see, that goes back to me to like what you were talking about with the whole two person village, right? Because I think what we've gotten ourselves into in this two person village scenario that we're in culturally is this expectation, right? Mm. That this person is going to fill up that feeling of connectedness all the time. Yeah. They are going to be my one source of connectedness. If they in any way don't want to fulfill that in that moment for whatever personal reason, right? They're going through, they don't want to do the thing right. I want to do. They don't want to have sex. Right. They don't want to. You know, they want to do them, whatever. Yeah. Um, I now feel cut off. I now feel abandoned mm. because my, all of my expectations of connection yeah. are resting squarely on the shoulders of this other person. Yeah. And it's so much expectation. It's so much weight. It's so yeah. much responsibility that we end up cutting ourselves off at the knees. Like we yeah. end up breaking that connection, creating our mm. own abandonment and thus our own loneliness because of the weight and the expectation 100%. for the other person. 100%. Yeah. You know, my, my wife needs her village also. I am not enough for her. Yeah. That's just the facts. Yeah. I am not enough for her. To, to, in the two-person village, it ain't enough. It's a, you know, I, yep. all of our, our pop culture points us towards the two-person village as the, as the only yes. thing we need. All I need is you, baby, mm -hmm. and, and the whole world can go to hell. <laughs> you complete me. You complete me. Right. <laughs> and bullshit <laughs> total bullshit and, and harmful harmful and mm. and oh you know coming to terms with the with the with the reality that i'm not enough for my wife that's okay it's not a yeah. it's not a fault of our relationship it's a, it's a reality of being human and we do need a, a village we do need i do need my my guy friends she does need her girlfriends you know i need my sisters um i i i mm -hmm. she needs hers i mean it's, it, oh boy, that's liberating knowing that, oh, I don't have to be everything for her nor her for me. Oh, wow. That's so liberating. It's what a, what a relief off my shoulders, you know? And, and again, we, we live in a two person village. It's just her and I in this house. So there's still that temptation to go, yo, you're the only one I got. Give me what I want. <laughs> Come here and fulfill all these needs that I've got. Right up. now. And then do it again tomorrow. You owe me. You owe me. <laughs> right. And again and again and again. Forever and ever. And do it with a smile on your face. I love it. <laughs>
so Brian, I have a question because I'm sure, you know, as many of the men who are doing some of the work that you're doing, we often hear speak to that their audience is often made up largely of women. Mm. I don't know if that's the case for you. I'm, I'm making an assumption, but if oh, I'm a woman, right? yeah, yeah. Yeah. So if I'm a woman and I am hearing so much of what you're saying and it's deeply resonant and I'm like, how do I get my partner on board with the way that Brian's talking? Um, What would you say to a woman who wants to, you know, feel in her partnership similar to what you're speaking about? Like my wife has been one of my greatest teachers, but I think that comes from a certain energetic from your wife. Again, I'm assuming, but I'd love for you to speak to women in terms of like, how do I how do I be in curiosity and invite my partner into some of these spaces with totally. me? Totally. Uh, well, look, so yeah, my audience, just the numbers, you know, social media, email list, all that, 85% women. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that means 15% of it is men. You know, I have a few, I got a few hundred thousand, I got a few hundred thousand followers. That's a lot of men. Bravo to those That's brothers. still a lot Absolutely. of men. That's right. <laughs> you know, I'm this men's group that I that I run every year uh, called Elevate uh, Elevate 2022. The next one will be Elevate 2023. Um, we have 13 men enrolled in that group. Probably five of them discovered my work because their wives bought my book Choose Her Every Day. They didn't buy it for the man. They bought it for themselves, and it was just lying around like on the nightstand table or. You know, the title of my book is Choose Her Every Day or Leave Her. That's pretty confronting to men. Yeah. That's not a soft, easy, that's not a soft, wishy-washy title. It's like, dude, step up or get out. Mm -hmm. And men kind of have, you know, a few different responses to that. It's it's sort of a, man, fuck off. Who's this guy I think he is kind of thing because it's confronting. (laughs) Or it's like, wow, holy shit. Uh, again, accountability. Nobody's nobody's spoken to me like this. For, certainly not another man. Mm-hmm. So, you know, <clears throat> that that even the, the framing of that question: How do I get my partner to? Right, y'all know that's a that's yes. a non-starter. <laughs> how do I get them to? You know what I what I'm often when I when I'm speaking about men specifically is like you, you can't get a man to do anything he doesn't want to do. And if you could get him to do it, then you he won't respect himself, and you probably won't respect him either. Like on some level, it has to come from within him the impulse, the the desire. That said, he needs to know your experience with him. He needs to know that, that you're, you know, I I told you earlier, I I know that I'm not enough for my wife. She lives in an ongoing longing for more connection with me than I'm typically able to offer. Now that does not mean I've thrown my hands up and said, well, you know, I can't meet your needs. So fuck it. Of course not. That would be the end of our relationship. Right. Both of us in the same way that, you know, I have certain needs that I, I want to, for example, I want to take her everywhere with me. I want to show her the world. You know, it's like I'm, I'm Aladdin and she's my Jasmine. Like, get on my magic carpet, girl. We're going for a ride. <laughs> it doesn't work for her. She gets she just can't do it. She can't take in all that I constantly want to show. I mean, we'll just be driving. I'm like, babe, look at that. Look at that. I'm wanting to show her the world. Literally. I will show her the world. Okay. 
you know? <laughs> oh, don't even start with the Disney. Dis- I mean, like, I could go all day. <laughs> we love this, Brian. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, it's the same. Like, you know, we, we both live with a, with a bit of a, an unrequited longing that the other just can't, mm. can't fully meet. But that doesn't mean that doesn't mean we don't we don't still again lean in the direction of okay how can I stretch to to connect with her more how can she stretch to go more places with me right um, so knowing though that she needs that from me is helpful mm-hmm. hearing I, yeah. I need to hear from her what's going on for her because that is what if if I just think everything's okay with her well two things if I think everything's fine. I'm going to go deal with the other problems of my life that have nothing to do with her yeah. because she's fine. Or if I hear though that she's not fine and it's my fault and I I'm obligated to do something. Well, I'm also, my first instinct is going to be, well, screw this. I'm going to go somewhere else. <laughs> and Right. That, yeah. that doesn't feel good either. But hearing from her that look, she, she you know she wants to 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 work on something with me. She wants to have a, a I don't know more connection or more time or more quality. like she needs something, and she really wants me to 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 partner with her in that. I don't have to, but she needs it. Like that hearing that's like mm-hmm. okay, I love her. I love this woman. I want us to succeed and thrive. How, how, let me figure this out. You know, and I think for a lot of men that are, that have that's even that slight bit of opening or willingness, for example, like, like seeing the book on her bedside, you know, you said it, uh, Danae, the very first chapter of the book is, is, is no one ever taught me how to be a man. Mm-hmm. Pretty much every man can relate to that. You know, every and that's- man. That's so insightful for a woman, I think, to understand. I don't think that's something women think about that often, you know. Yeah, you know, we, we, we men, we are, we are actually so sensitive. It's a cliche that we're not sensitive or that we're, you know, we're yeah. that the opposite is true. We are so damn sensitive. Mm-hmm. We've mm. just never felt safe to be sensitive, to be emotional, to feel these things. And so... Um, once we just begin to crack the, the, the armor of that conversation, especially amongst mm-hmm. each other, amongst other men, when we start realizing, you know, one of the things that I hear most from men when they come into to, to men's work and start having these conversations is that the, one of the biggest light bulb moments isn't some new tool or technique or perspective. It's, holy shit, I'm not alone. Other yeah. men feel this too? Whoa. Yeah. That that right there begins to be so healing for men. So is that, is that helpful? I mean, uh, yeah. I, I, yeah. I think even what you said about, we have to live with this unrequited longing yes. that the other person can't meet to mm. me. That is huge mm. because there's just this like a lot of times this person can't meet my needs. So I'm out <laughs> and it's like, yeah, this is going to be a need. Right. right? And yeah. what is like my work versus this person's work, but how can I stay present in the space of curiosity. And that's what I feel like I hear you speaking to. Like, yes, well, I'm, I'm also, curious about understanding. No, yeah. Ahead. Also, it's like the way that you said it, I think, right, is really important for people to hear. And it's like coming because you're both, you both have this unrequited need. Mm-hmm. And so when you mm-hmm. feel it like kind of bubbling up, right, each of them, each of those needs is different. Mm-hmm. 
And it is something the other person is not going to ever be able to completely fulfill in you. And when you feel it bubbling up, the way that you approach the other person is also really important. 100%. When we approach our partner with this way where it's like a demand or an expectation, I feel this way. You need to feel this, yep. right? What do you expect will be the response to yeah. that, right? Yeah. It is human mm. nature, I think, to respond in a like defensive, like, fuck off. I'm, you're, like, you're, you're being too much. You're clinging. You're grabbing, right? And our natural, I would say, defense is to kind of back away from that, not mm. to lean into that, mm. right? It's that, it's that, I hate using the word needy, but it does have that kind of like needy, clingy quality to it. Now, if you approach the person and you say, here's something I'm struggling with, let's partner on it, right? I need your help. That to me feels very, very different. Now I want to lean into it with you and help solve it with you as a partnership, as a team. It's not something you're expecting me to solve for you um, or yeah. to give up of myself or something like that. Yeah, look, it's like, it's like, a, it's like a, you know, when a, and I know this is so common, like a man just expecting you, uh, my woman, to give me sex when I need it. I, yeah. because I'm a man, I need it. I just need it. You, and you need to give it to yeah. me. And that's, you know, I'm, I'm on TikTok these days and, and I'm, I, I follow some, some women who are healing from like sexual coercion and marital, you know, all kinds of things. And, 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 and how common it is still that men expect sex because just men need it. This idea that men need it. Mm -hmm. It's so it's that's, but that's the same thing in reverse, you know, it, yeah. it, it it's not helpful. It doesn't, what it creates is shutdown in your partner, right? Implosion, either implosion or explosion. One of the two. Mm -hmm. it, it doesn't bring us closer together. That's for sure. Yeah. And so f finding these ways, the ways of languaging, you know, I, I look at the difference between, I like the distinction between feedback and criticism. You know, criticism is, is giving direction that isn't being asked for. Just giving direction that's not being asked for. I'm not asking for your direction. I'm that's an adult. Right. Don't tell me how to live my life. Don't tell me what I need to do. Feedback yeah. is, this is my experience. This is what I long for. This is what I want. This is where I'm hurting. This is what isn't helpful, etc. Now, what, what do we do with this? Okay, we, yeah. we can figure that out, right? That, that's essential. Feedback is essential. Yes. Criticism, direction that isn't being asked for not usually helpful. Yes. I love even the language you use of longing, because I think if we can get still with our longings and be curious about, okay, so what is underneath yeah. this longing for sex with my partner, right? Maybe it is to feel seen, to feel connected, to feel valued. Like, is this something that, yes, maybe I speak to my partner about, but also are there ways that some of right. these things are yeah. things I need to validate or fill within myself? It's not always like my partner's job to meet this, quote, need for me in this moment. It's a little bit my work sometimes to get curious about, okay, but what is this longing yeah. within me about? Totally. Right? Mm -hmm. I, I'm so relieved that my, my wife has girlfriends and even some guy friends that, mm. she, can, that she can talk to, feel safe with. I don't know, have, have emotional, silly, rambunctious conversations that quite frankly, I don't really enjoy having in that way. Like, <laughs> I, you know, uh, it's just my, 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 my disposition is a little more kind of neutral emotionally. I tend to be a little, little, little less range of, uh, <laughs> whereas my wife is up, down, up, down, all over. <laughs> and that's great. I love it. And, you know, I, I can't, 
I just can't go there with her a lot. So in the same way that she just can't get on my magic carpet ride and travel around the world for two years, seeing like she, I took her on a five week tour of Ireland, our second year together. I was having the time of my life. She was overwhelmed on day three, right? <laughs> it makes me sweat just hearing about it. I'm like, oh my God. I feel like, I feel like that sounds horrible. We like all need to go out together and have a beer because the dynamic yeah. would be hilarious. I'm tagging yeah. along. That's I want to listen to these conversations. Yeah. I'm coming too. Um, Brian, I feel like we could just like keep you forever and pick your brain, but we want to be mindful of your time. And um, we have a bonus round of oh, questions fun. that we want to ask you. Um, so the first question is who have been your greatest mentors, mm. teachers, people who have impacted your oh, journey man. up to this point? So, so, so many. The one, one right now that's so alive for me is Francis Weller. Uh, he's the author of Wild mm. Edge of Sorrow. He's so alive for me right now. Um, yes. Bill Plotkin, his work, uh, Nature and the Human Soul. Um, uh, uh, also, you know, I, I, I could, I could talk this for, for days. So many people have, have, have been my inspirations and mentors. I want to say Bob Duggan, he was my mentor. He, he was a man that him and his wife, Diane Connolly, they, they like brought, they helped bring acupuncture to, to the West in back in the sixties, but his wisdom, his teaching me, um, to not be in opposition to anything. Right. It's kind of like, uh, I think there's this, this, this story of mother Teresa, maybe it's apocryphal, you know, saying, I don't want to do an anti-war march. I'll do a pro peace march, but not an anti-war march. You know, that, that Bob Duggan really gifted me that, 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 that idea of being in non-opposition to life. Don't push the river. So I mm-hmm. want to say his name as well. He, he died a few years back and so many, I could keep going. Mm, yeah. Okay, so the second question is, what is it that you're doing when you find yourself in a state of flow, right? So that thing that you could be doing where you blink your eyes and an entire day goes by. I am writing. I'm mm-hmm. writing. Just period. I'm writing. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. Love it. And what breaks your heart, Brian? Oh, so many things. Um, man's inhumanity to man, uh, the, 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 the fear that women live with every day. Um, Mm -hmm. our, our, our strip mall culture in certainly in the United States, our, our car centric strip mall culture, our, our, you know, our profit focused culture, our people profit first, people second, uh, well, people Mm -hmm. seventh or eighth culture, the, the destruction of the natural world, um, I, 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 I live with a lot of, of broken heartedness these days, but I think just because I'm, I'm becoming, I'm waking up to my sensitivity as a human being. Mm. Love that. And then the last question is the doozy. What is your favorite food? Dark chocolate. Oh, and, so quick to answer. And, I like it. <laughs> and all the different varieties it may come in. Wow. <laughs> Love it. Wow. Brian, I truly appreciate you doing this. And I might have to see if we can twist your arm to see if we can get you back again, because I just feel like you're such a treasure and the work you were doing is so important. Well, so you two you. are brilliant. You're, I know you have so many gifts and so much. You're brilliant. The work that you're doing as well. So much respect for, for both of you ladies. And, and it's an honor to be in this conversation with you. Thank you for the invitation. And I'd, I'd love to come back on again. 
Thanks for joining us for this episode of Cheaper Than Therapy. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you want to connect with us, you can find us on Instagram at Vanessa S. Bennett and at Danae Logan Selkin.